0: Would you open God's precious holy word to John chapter 3, and we've come to verses 22 through 36 today. The famous quote by John the Baptist, who said, I must decrease, he must increase. Now that's the reverse order in which he says it, but that's the way I'm going to preach it today. So first of all, Let's consider I must decrease. John the Baptist, according to Jesus himself, in another gospel, was the greatest man who ever lived. Now you think about that, he had no money, his his clothing and diet were atrocious. He didn't have a splendid home. I don't even know if he owned any land or not. He performed no miracles. But he preached. As a humble preacher. Filled with the spirit of God. Anointed by the spirit. To do what God had called him to do totally surrendered to that task, he became the man whom Christ said was the greatest born of woman. Think about that. So then, let's start out with the first part of the phrase as I have it listed here. I must decrease. Beginning of verse 22. After these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the Judean land. They were in the general area. They were ministering this period. It says says he was staying there with them and was baptizing. If we consider what John 4 says, we come to realize that Jesus was in that area, mostly privately teaching his disciples for about six months, this was a, an important part of the ministry of Jesus to prepare his disciples to carry on the work. They would be the foundation of the church. Now, it says they were baptizing. That is, Jesus' disciples. Now, John was also there baptizing in Anan near because many waters were there. Now let me stop and say this. You have to have many waters to baptize. You don't have to have many waters to sprinkle, but you got to have a lot of water to baptize. And so they were doing it the right way. John and Jesus were in the same place. Both baptizing, and they were both baptizing the same baptism, which we're going to see in another slide, the Jews referred to as purification. This was something specific for the Jews. Jesus was baptizing in the same way. Mark sort of teaches us that. Jesus' message was repent, of course, and believe the good news. The good news was that the Christ was coming to teach of the kingdom. So they were, they were looking to the kingdom and they were, in retrospect, they were looking and examining themselves. And they were believing the message that they just weren't prepared. And so the Jews called it purification, but it was the baptism uh, that they came to. Now, John, for the next chapter teaches us that Jesus wasn't actually baptizing. His disciples were baptizing in his his ministry. So there were many waters there and they were coming and being baptized for John had not yet been cast into prison. This is inserted by John because if you read the other gospels, you would think that right from here, John was immediately cast into prison. But that is not the time frame. The other gospels, the synoptic writers go on to the time of John's being put in prison, but not John. So John inserts that John the Baptist had not yet been cast into prison. So people were coming from everywhere. Jesus was teaching his disciples. He would have also been teaching other people and Jesus is the one whom John had declared to be the Christ of God, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and it was Jesus surely teaching about how the Old Testament presented the Christ in, in two comings, that is he comes first as a suffering servant and then he comes in glory as the king of all kings, Jesus would have been teaching them these things and would have been teaching them the folly of self-righteousness, which would, of course, would have led right into their baptism of that day. Now, the Christian baptism is instituted in Acts chapter 2, and people were baptized in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. But this is, this is leading up to that, and people were coming to a place where there was a lot of water and both Jesus and John were, were baptizing, but Jesus was the one performing the miracles. Remember, we said uh, earlier, referencing the end of John's gospel, where John says that he couldn't have written everything that Jesus did because there's, there, there aren't enough scrolls. The world couldn't contain the books that would have been written about all that Christ had done. So we understand then through what John says at the end of his book that Jesus is teaching and he's affirming the message from heaven that he has brought by the miracles that he was performing. Now, moving on, a debate says, then a debate arose among the disciples of John with a certain Jew about purification so here are Jesus and John in this area they're baptizing Jews and it was a it was a ritual that was at that point in time it was for Jews a purification ritual as the Jew here referenced it and they came to John and said to him rabbi he who was with you beyond the Jordan to whom you have borne witness behold he baptizes and all are coming to him May I say. This has been this problem of jealousy and watching the other guy and what he does in the church. This has been a major problem apparently in the whole history of the church. I was at a church once. And I have never considered myself. Well, I may have early in my ministry, but by this point in time that I'm talking about, I wasn't considering about how many the guy down the road was baptizing that that's I'm not the one who saves them. I'm not the one who draws them into salvation. And so, you know, our job is just. To be like John the Baptist. I like what one preacher said. He said we should preach like John the Baptist. Clear the way, declare the way, and then get out of the way. So this is what we're to do. John the Baptist, of course, was like this. But his disciples were getting jealous because Jesus was baptizing more than John was. You may not realize. In the day, I don't know how to do it these days. I, don't, I haven't looked in so long. But the Alabama Baptist Convention... Lists all of the churches by by association. They're in alphabetical order. Used to be a book that came out every year, sent to every Southern Baptist church. It's not a book anymore. I think you just go online and plug it in or something. But I know that preachers, the first thing they would do is go to that place where their association was listed, and they would go down the number of baptisms and see where they fit in the number of baptisms with the other churches. (laughs) <laughs> well, you know, it, it, it isn't, it is the work of the Holy Spirit. It is the person of Christ. It is never the minister. It is never his ministry. And it is, it is never really his church or anything that his church does. His church should be moved into doing what the Holy Spirit moves the church to do, and there are things I've, I've been around the block enough to know that the, the demeanor, the, 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 the particular mission for a particular point in time can really can really be moved from one from one decade to another. Such that there may be a time where the church is filled with evangelist type people and they need to reach people. Of course, we always need to reach people for Christ. But then when people are reached for Christ, there comes a time when they need to be discipled. They need to understand that to which they've come. And they do that, of course, by Bible study. So there's a time when churches can enter into a time of discipleship. There's a time when apologetics are necessary. And I have seen churches, I have seen The membership of churches literally change almost completely in some cases over a period of years. And in praying about that, I have often thought that, you know, these these people and what they do and how they are gifted are needed somewhere. And Jesus, who's the head of the church, just takes them and puts them where they're needed. But then he brings those into this church who are needed here who are, whose spiritual gifts and insights are exactly what this church needs in the present day now there are some fundamentals we never move away from but there are times of emphasis that come upon us by the moving of the holy spirit in the congregation so it's never a matter of competition among churches it's 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 never a matter of uh, of how many who does. It's like I'm going to win I'm going to win the the conference championship if I if I baptize more than everybody else in my association. Then, oh, then if you were to baptize more than anybody in the convention, you'd win the national championship. I know first First, and they are a wonderful church. They just are gifted in this way. First Baptist Jacksonville, Florida, have been on a roll, and I haven't checked this in a few years, but back some years ago, and I noticed that they baptized at least a thousand a year, year after year after year. It was a. It was. It would. I've been in services at that church. It's a. It's a wonderful thing. They're totally evangelistic and. Their people are trained and filled with the Spirit of God to tell others about Christ. And that's a thrilling thing. I was visiting a a hospital once when I was at another church, and I went to the bathroom. (laughs) It happens, you know. And I was whistling Amazing Grace. just seemed like a thing to do I don't know. but in a bathroom like that there's this echo you know and I felt like a flute player a flautist he was just bouncing off the walls and this other guy came in and gets stands next this little too disc- there's this other guy that came in and guys ought not to talk to other guys in the bathroom that's, that's my rule of life I will speak to you outside this door. <laughs> Not in here. So this guy, really nice guy. <laughs> he said to me, do you know the grace of which you whistle? That's exactly what he said. <laughs> so I <laughs> will. well, I got three. I got, don't break my iPad there, mama. I got, well, I completed my task. <laughs> washed my hands. And then on the outside of the door, waited for the guy. And told him, I, I, I'm sure he washed his hand. They were kind of moist. I hope it was washed Washed hands. I shook his hand outside the door and I thanked him for his interest in telling me about grace. I thanked him for that. Uh, And left it at that. I didn't want to go any further than that. But you can tell this guy, even in the the bathroom, at the row of the crockeries that were there, (laughs) carried with him, the spirit of evangelism. And I thanked him for it when he got outside the door. I wasn't going to thank him for anything until he got outside the door. But I thought to myself, I'm not going to go anymore with this story. It's, you, get the, you get the deal here. Some people are just always prepared to seek. Those whom the Lord would call. Paul wrote to Timothy and he said, I endure all things for the sake of the elect so that they might be saved and come to Jesus Christ. This is what we're about. This is something that is fundamental to us. But this is not something that just belongs to us. We don't baptize all of them, not everybody wants to do things the way that the Spirit of God leads us to do them. Not everybody likes uh, certain kinds of music. Not everybody likes certain kinds of preaching. Not everybody likes whatever. But there are those who do and the Lord uses the whole thing. Now this is where John the Baptist is. They are, his disciples are jealous because Jesus is getting the bigger crowds. And so they come and they look at this. We used to be the only act in town and now he's getting all of them. He baptizes and they're all going to him. I love John's answer. Now John, his answer will take up the rest of the slides here. A man is able to receive nothing Except it is given to him from heaven. Ministry is a gift from heaven, it should be viewed in no other way. To minister. In the name of Christ. This becomes more meaningful as we finish out in just a moment the rest of the the rest of the chapter here. John reminds them of what he said back in in John chapter 1 when they came to John. The the Jewish leaders came to John and said, What are you doing? All this baptizing. He he repeats some of what he said. He said, I am not the Christ. He's talking to his, he's, he's talking to his disciples. You yourselves bear witness to me that I said, I'm not the Christ. But I'm sent before him. He has a particular task and he knows it. Every preacher should be saying to himself every day throughout the day, I'm not the Christ. I'm not the Christ. This is my fifth church in 44 years. And this is the first church, and I'm thankful for this, that didn't have my name out front somewhere. Because all the other churches where my name was, the rest of the sign was permanent, but the place where the preacher's sign was, it was always, you know, you'd have to, it was movable. It's easy to take that thing off and put another name in its place. Who cares who the minister is? The important thing is, as the as the Greeks came inquiring, we would see Christ. This is where John the Baptist is. This is where we should all be. I'm not the Christ. The one having the bride is the bridegroom. Now that's the Christ and the church. Now, the friend of the bridegroom, the one standing and listening for him, rejoices with joy because of the voice of the bridegroom. This joy of mine, I misspelled it when I translated it, sorry. This joy of mine is therefore fulfilled. It behooves him to increase, but it behooves me to decrease. Clear the way, declare the way, and get out of the way. John the Baptist would arrive at sunrise, probably, begin to preach to the crowds, and he couldn't have known how many there would be or how many he would baptize that day. That wasn't an essential thing to him. It was to his disciples, but it wasn't to him. The essential thing to him was that the one whom he had presented to the world, namely, whom is called here the bridegroom, he's the important one. Now, the bridegroom had an important part in that culture. The wedding would last for several days, and the bridegroom was generally the closest friend, I mean, the best man. The friend, the best man, was the closest friend of the bridegroom generally. And he was entrusted with a lot of duties and responsibilities regarding the wedding. He had to do a lot of preparation for the wedding. And it was he who then, when the service was to be culminated, it was he who brought and presented the bride to the bridegroom. Now, this is how John the Baptist describes his work. It is my job to present the bride to the bridegroom. To present those who would come to Christ as they are called to Christ, to Christ. Present them to Christ. Then his job was over. He didn't have anything else to do. John the Baptist is saying to his disciples, I don't have anything else to do. This was my job, my task. I have been prepared. I have been called. God has equipped me. And at this point in time, according to the sovereign will of God, he has placed me as the voice crying in the wilderness. I am preaching repentance to the people and making them understand that they are not ready for the one who is here. And in that expression of unreadiness, they come for their purification, for their baptism, an open expression of their desire to be prepared for the coming of the Christ who would come and present himself to the people. This was John's job, simply to present Christ to people. John knew that he says, I'm not the Christ. I'm not the prophet. I'm not any of those things. I'm just this particular guy who was identified in Isaiah. I'm just this particular guy who is a voice crying in the wilderness wilderness, just simply saying, Prepare the way for the Lord. Make his path straight. Knock down the high parts, fill in the low parts, and make his path straight. That's all John the Baptist had to do. And in so many ways, that's the task of ministry. Clear the way, declare the way, and then get out of the way. This joy of mine is therefore fulfilled. I'm not grieving that he's baptizing more than we are. My joy is fulfilled because the bridegroom has come. He has been presented. And now the bride will come to the bridegroom. So I must decrease. But he. Must increase. John continues. This is the greatest. This is one of the greatest passages. Of the of the condensed. Doctrine of the Christ. Right here. The one coming from above. Is above all. There is no one. High. In other words John the Baptist is saying that guy down there. That I have said is the Lamb of God. He's performing miracles. He came from above and nobody is above him. Nothing is above him. He's the highest of all. The one coming from above is above all. The one being from the earth. Now that's me and that's John the Baptist and other priests. He's he's from the earth and he speaks from the earth. The one coming from heaven Is above all what he has seen and heard this he testifies and no one receives his testimony. All right. Christology number one. There is no one above the Christ. He is above all. He is from above. He is above all. He is God the son. The rest of us can only think can only speak things from the earth. I am not of divine origin physically. When I preach I have to have the Bible. From time to time I I enjoy looking at commentaries or even reading to or listening to other sermons. And. I gain insight and am challenged to think about what someone has written or has said and maybe research it myself and think about it and ponder on it and meditate on it. But all of that is earthy. It's of the earth. I'm not the first guy to get the gospel. It didn't originate with me. It originated in heaven. And the one who originated it is the one who brings it from heaven. Namely, The bridegroom, the Christ of God. John continues to disciple. and said, look, I'm from the earth. The one coming from above, he's above all. The one coming from heaven is above all. What he has seen and heard, this he testifies. He declares the gospel by first-hand experience. We are a fallen race. We're ruined because of sin. And God, before the foundation of the world, has given the elect to God the Son. And God the Son will then enter into time and space that which he has created. And he will see to it personally that all things are accomplished. Everything, according to the purpose of God, will be accomplished. Now he brings that from heaven. He has seen it. He heard it. He originated it. He was there. And he has brought it in the embodiment of the bridegroom. The one down the road there baptizing all these people. But he's from heaven and he is above all. He is the embodiment of the truth of God. God affirms the gospel of his son, Through the miracles that he performs, through the great message, unlike anyone has ever heard, it comes directly from heaven and it comes through the lips of God, the son, Jesus Christ. And so this is what he testifies to. Now, the ones who were depending on their own righteousness to save them, They don't receive his testimony because to receive his testimony means that he is above all. And that means that if he tells you you're a sinner and you need to be saved by believing in the Son, by believing in the Christ, by believing in the Savior, then that's the truth. That is the ultimate truth. Anything other than that is a lie. So they don't want to receive his testimony. But some do. The one Having received his testimony has set his seal that God is true. Here's what that means. If you do not believe in Jesus Christ as the only begotten son of God, the only savior, and through confession and repentance are saved By the blood of the Lamb. If you are not trusting in Christ as your Savior. If Jesus is not uppermost in your mind, in your heart, and in your life. Then you're calling God a liar. That's what he's saying. If you receive his testimony, you've set your seal on the truth of God. This is the ultimate truth. That God has sent his only begotten son. This is the ultimate truth. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. This is absolute truth. This is the ultimate truth of all things. And so the ministry of all of us is to present the Christ of God to the world. And God will save whom he will. This is absolute truth. The one having received his testimony has set his seal He's placed his life on the fact that God's word is true. That all of God's word from Genesis 1-1 to the Revelation twenty two twenty one, 21 points to the Christ of God. Every, every phrase and word are there to point us to Jesus. All of it. To do anything else is to call God a liar. For he whom God sent speaks the words of God. For he gives the Spirit without measure. Who is the giver of the Spirit? God the Son. On the day of Pentecost, the Spirit, God the Son. On the day when you made a public profession of faith, God the Son sent the Spirit. The Spirit convicts you, enables you to hear the call of God, places in your heart the irresistible call of God, and you are drawn to God by the power of the Holy Spirit who convicts you of of sin and makes you to understand that you're a sinner and you need a Savior and that the righteousness of Christ will cover you. You'll be cleansed in the blood of the Lamb, You can't believe that without the power of the Holy Spirit. You won't come to Christ without the power of the Holy Spirit. Christ will not call you apart from the sending of his Holy Spirit. So what does the Bible say? It says, he is the one, this is John the Baptist. He is the one who gives the Spirit without measure. John said, I'm only baptizing you with water. But the one coming after me will baptize you with fire and with the Holy Spirit. So, here John testifies. That guy down the road baptizing more than us, he's the one who gives the spirit without measure. I was there when the spirit fell upon him. I was there when the father said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. I was there when it descended upon him like a dove. I was there, I know what I'm talking about. He carries the fullness of the spirit So then Christ in his ministry could do nothing apart from the will of the Father. That's why he's always praying to the the Father. He does nothing. He performs no miracle. He goes in no place to preach. He does nothing. He doesn't call the disciples. He doesn't do anything apart from the will of the Father. And nothing is ever accomplished in the ministry of Christ apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. Because God the Son has surrendered himself to human flesh. And he lays aside who he is in heaven and becomes who he is on earth because he's the only one who can bring us the gospel, original gospel. He's the only one. And then he's the only one who can die for us, who can save us. He's the only one. He's the only one who can give the spirit without measure you hear this he gives the spirit without measure there are some who think that in salvation the spirit is partially given and then in some other act of the spirit the spirit is further given that's not true that's not what the bible says the bible says that jesus gives the spirit without measure When the day came and God performed in my life what he had determined for me in all of eternity. I'm taught and I believe that he sealed me to the day of redemption and gave his Holy Spirit in my life as a pledge, an earnest payment, a down payment. And that now the spirit is in me and the one who is in me is greater than the one who is in the world. And the spirit teaches me and the spirit guides me. And I have the Holy Spirit of God in my life. Because the Christ who is my savior gave the spirit without measure. Now, John the Baptist continues. The father loves the son. And has given all things into his hand. When we started out our journey through John's gospel, we looked at how God the Son logos. Remember that? The Word made everything. He created everything. The Father gave into the hand of the Son creation. You created. He would say to his son. We learn in Colossians that the whole universe is sustained by the power of Christ. He upholds or he sustains all things. He made it. He sustains. He holds it up. He keeps it going until it becomes useless at the great white throne." And then it is the Christ of God who brings all of us into judgment, who oversees our salvation by sending the Spirit, who who died to save us. And then as our high priest in heaven lives to keep us saved and sends the Spirit as he sees fit, according to the will of the Father, and he gives it without measure, and that was given into the hand of the Son, sending the Spirit without measure. And in the time of judgment, He will judge because the Father has given all judgment into the Son. And then at the end of the event at the great white throne, all things will be dissolved and there will be a new heaven and a new earth because the Father has given all things into the hand of the Son. So then here is the invitation. The one believing in the son has eternal life. That's rather simple. That's it. But the one not obeying the son will not see life. But the wrath of God abides on him. To believe, but the one not obeying. Why doesn't it say not believing? Here's why. To believe in the Son is obedience to the gospel. You understand that? So in believing, we have obeyed. But not believing is not obeying the Son. And such a person will not see life. But the wrath of God abides on him. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He came into this world to save sinners. If you're here without Christ, may I say, if you will admit that you're a sinner, according to the Bible, and if you believe in Jesus, and if you will call on him to save you, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. God is bound by his word to save you. You wouldn't come to that, but by the will of God. So in just a moment, we'll stand and sing our song of invitation. And if you would respond to the call of God to salvation today, you can come to me here in the altar and just say, Pastor, I'll be saved. Or as you exit, we have deacons and their wives in rooms will pray with you and discuss it with you if that's what you would prefer maybe you're here as a Christian and God leads you to come and study the Bible with us here fellowship with other believers be discipled in the word of God and to enjoy life together as believers if you would come into the fellowship of this church and that's God's will for you you come you can come to me Here in the altar or as you leave, you can discuss it with with the deacons and wives in the rooms just across the hall. This is God's invitation to you. Father God in heaven, and now use it for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing, okay?